Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 5. Beginning in verse 1, I'll read through verse 20. They came to the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gerasenes. When he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him, and he had his dwelling among the tombs. And no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gashing himself with stones. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him, and shouting with a loud voice, he said, "'What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God?' I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he had been saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he was asking him, what is your name? And he said to him, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he began to implore him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain. The demons implored him, saying, Send us into the swine so that we may enter them. Jesus gave them permission. And coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about 2,000 of them, and they were drowned in the sea. Their herdsmen ran away and reported it in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed sitting down, clothed, and in his right mind, the very man who had had the legion, and they became frightened. Those who had seen it described to them how it had happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine, and they began to implore him to leave their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him, and he did not let him. But he said to him, go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed." There is not a place on the planet or beyond that God's rule and God's reign does not reach. There is no place that God's love and God's grace does not reach. There's no place that God's mercy and God's hope does not reach. We see that developed for us and evidenced for us in the passage that we're looking at this morning that is known familiarly as the Gerasene demoniac. Jesus ventures across the sea after a long day of ministry in order to claim land that is under enemy occupation. He invades, as it were, enemy territory to reveal that his sovereign rights know no bounds. 
He has been teaching the multitudes. He has been healing, performing miracles, ministering to so many that he had to get in a boat and push away from the shore. But he does not reserve his ministry for the masses. He actually sails tumultuous waters at the end of a long day in order to rescue the life of a single man. And that man, an absolute outcast of a man. This man is the subject of the first point today. The first point is the man. The second point is the legion. And the third point is the town. It would be great if it could be the man, the myth, the legion, or something cool like that. But it just wouldn't work. So the man, the legion, and the town it is. You see the title there in your bulletin, Taming Demons. That is an abbreviation for Taming Demons, Drowning Pigs, and Saving Souls. That's what's happening in the passage today as Jesus makes abundantly clear that his rule, his reign, his love and his grace, his mercy and his hope reach into every life, into every area of our lives. Verses 1 through 5, this man. As soon as Jesus and the disciples beach the boat... Immediately, this derobed demoniac comes screeching at them. He saw him from a distance. It's as if he's, look at verse 6, it's as if he anticipates the arrival. He is waiting for the boat to be beached, and he makes a beeline to Jesus. Mark tells us here that he is an unclean Man, or he's a man with an unclean spirit. He, he was not just a man with an unclean spirit. He was unclean in many ways, in multiple ways. Not just the spirits inside of him, the few thousand spirits that had made their abode with him, but he was also living among the tombs, which made him unclean. He was living among the dead. He was living in a Gentile area, which made him unclean. Yet again, he was living near pigs which made him unclean yet again. As a result of the unclean spirits being in this man and the way that they had caused him to act and react, he has been ousted from society. He's been kicked out of town. He's no longer welcome there, which is why he finds himself living among the dead on the outskirts of the city. He is as storm-ravaged in his body as the disciples' boat had been the night before. The boat was being battered by the winds and the waves. And this gentleman's body is being ravaged from within due to these spirits, unclean demons living inside of him. The tattered clothing, another gospel writer tells us, Actually, he was completely naked. It's an accurate symbol of how wrecked his life is. He was a man with an unclean spirit, is the way that Mark describes him in verse 2. When Jesus got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. And he had his dwelling among the tombs in case 
We weren't clear the first time Mark said it. He repeats it again. He is living among the dead. No one was able to bind this man. Now, it's probably worth noting right from the outset here that while we do not fully understand demon possession, and while at least I struggle to properly explain it, the fact that we're reading about it here in the Gospel of Mark makes clear that we must avoid refusing to believe it. It is a reality. What is also a reality is that Satan is a cruel, malicious, powerful being. Look at what's happening to this man. Shackles cannot hold him. Chains are broken apart. It's not because this man in and of himself has been working out. That's not the problem. The problem that he's facing are the demons within The man cannot be subdued. He has been acting as a result of the demons within like a wild animal. And he has been and is being treated like a wild animal. And every attempt to tame him has failed. Look at verse 3 again. No one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain. Now, in the original language, there's a triple negative there. No one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain. No one, no more, no chain. It was an absolute impossibility to tame this man. More specifically, it was an impossibility to tame the demons within this man. And in a very real sense, this individual, the Gerasene demoniac, is a microcosm of all of creation. Listen to Romans 8. For the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. All of creation has been affected by our sin. And all of creation is longing for that final day when everything is made right. And we see here in this garrison demoniac, this screaming and screeching among the tombs is a groaning for redemption. He's crying out for help. He is living in unbridled torment. So much so that he sought to bring relief to himself by cutting himself, gashing himself, With stones is the way that Mark says it in verse 5. The idea there, which is actually still prevalent in, in, in many ways today, is giving the demons a way out, if you will. Living in Ethiopia several years ago, the family that I was living with, the Ethiopian family, had invited in a young girl who had grown up on the, who was growing up on the countryside. She was five or six years old. And she had little scars all across her forehead and little scars all across her lower back. And when I inquired, what what are these scars from? Because they were perfectly symmetrical. And they said, because she had a disease, they also assumed that the disease was caused by demons. So if they would cut her, then it would allow the demons to get out and she would be healed of the disease. Now, we're not talking about something that happened 
ages and ages ago. This is in my lifetime, believe it or not. It's not that long ago. But this is a reality still that they're the cutting in order to get the pain out, get the hurt out, get the demons out is the idea. And that's what's happening here. This man is miserable and he is being taken advantage of by these numerous demons that are living inside of him. He cannot be tamed. He cannot be bound. And he's been kicked out of town to live in the local cemetery or graveyard. Which brings us to the next point. That's the man. But the man was the host to the legion. Verses 6 through 13. When Jesus is approached by this man and his few thousand guests, look at verse 7. What business do we have with each other, Jesus, son of the most high God? This remarkable interaction that we've seen previously. Evil spirits, demons, they always recognize Jesus and his divinity. They're more willing to believe his divinity than those that Jesus came to save. What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth, we saw in chapter 1? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Or again in chapter 3. Whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they would fall down before him and shout, You are the Son of God. And now here in chapter 5, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? James, the brother of our Lord, would tell us in the letter that he writes that the demons believe and shudder. We see evidence of that as Jesus is walking the streets of Nazareth, as he's here on the, in the country of the Gerasenes, the demons believe and they acknowledge who he is, that he is God, that he is the son of God. In thinking about that, it's important for us, we'll back up to what I had mentioned before. Do we believe in demons? Are we willing to say, yes, I believe in Satan, that he's a real personal being? Now, typically in our culture, People fall into one of two camps with regard to the demonic. And they are extreme camps. Demons are not real is one camp. Satan is not a personal being. That is a camp. But on the other side of that, we are surrounded by people in our culture that have an unhealthy fascination with the demonic, with Satan. Now, sometimes that looks like simply blaming the devil for everything. The devil made me do it. The goal for us is to not fall into these extreme camps of denying the the existence or having an unhealthy fascination, but simply looking and seeing what does the Word of God say about the demonic? What does the Word of God say about Satan? What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? And then, interestingly enough, we see these demons speaking to Jesus. They actually know who's in charge. I implore you, the last phrase of verse 7, I implore you by God, do not torment me. Now, there's a measure of irony there. This legion, these demons were tormenting this poor man to almost death. He had lost everything but life itself, and it wasn't far He wasn't far from dying, and they they will go on and torment the pigs to death. Demons are chaos monsters. 
But here we have the demon, these evil spirits coming to Jesus and imploring him by Jesus' father. For the sake of your father, don't torment me, they say. These evil spirits acknowledge that they, though they are many, they are evil, malicious, powerful, numerous. They acknowledge that they need permission from Jesus in order to occupy their next victim or victims. What is your name? Jesus is asking. He had been saying, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And now he says, what is your name? And he gets an answer. My name is Legion, for we are many. My name is Legion. 5,600 men made up a legion in the Roman army. Now, legion is most likely not used here as an exact number. But based on the number of pigs we see in the story, it looks like there were 2,000 at minimum. No matter how many it was, 2,000 or 5,000, it's not too many for Jesus to deal with. He would later make clear, later in his life, he would make clear that more than 12 legions of angels were at his disposal. He doesn't call on them here. He doesn't even reference having them at his disposal here. Because he knew, as Martin Luther made clear, one little word shall fail him. Listen to Luther's wonderful hymn, a couple of verses from it. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing, our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. And though this world, Luther continues, with devil's field should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. We see that happening in the life of this man in the life of our Lord on these pages from the gospel according to Mark. And verse 10, this legion began to implore Jesus earnestly not to send them out of the country. Don't torment me, was the first request. Don't send us out of the country There was some false assumption that staying close by would provide safety. These demons thought if they didn't go far, somehow they would be safe. Or if they could stay together, somehow they would be safe. The reality is there's not a place on the planet or even beyond that you are safe from Jesus. They weren't safe no matter where they went. I find it remarkable at this point in the passage that these demons are so willing to make requests from Jesus. I found myself being ashamed of not being willing to ask more from him. It also appears that the demons know very well that their time is short here on earth. What they're actually asking here, don't send us away, 
That is, into the outer abyss. They know that there's coming a day when they'll be cast into outer darkness. They know that their time is limited when they will no longer be able to torment the people of God. And that's what they're asking here. Don't send us out of the country. Don't send us away from earth. Leave us here. Allow us to continue doing what we're doing. It's not, it's not that time yet we can hear them asking themselves and Jesus I wonder if there's evidence of us living with such certainty that our time is limited, that we know our time here on earth is limited. Therefore, we have work to do. We have opportunities to take advantage of, responsibilities to fulfill. Verse 11, there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain. So the boat has been beached. The man comes screeching down to the shore to see Jesus. Jesus reveals that he is demon-possessed, and there are pigs feeding on a nearby mountain that's obviously visible from where they're standing here at the shoreline. The demons implored him again. They They have no problem going to Jesus and making requests. Send us into the swine so that we may enter them. And Jesus gave them permission. Just just like that. Okay, whatever you say. And coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about 2,000 of them, and they were drowned in the sea. Now, it's helpful to note that pigs do not naturally have a herd instinct. Pigs, actually, when they are startled, will scatter. They don't know which direction to go. But they don't all go in the same direction. They don't have a herd instinct. But the demons in the pigs unite together for evil as the pigs stampede down the mountain to their demise in the sea. The sea that had almost engulfed the disciples' boat the night before swallows up 2,000 pigs in an instant. 2,000 pigs. $1.2 million worth of barbecue. (laughs) Wasted. Unclean spirits inhabit unclean animals. That's what's happening here. More than that, this no-named demoniac man who had been the host of some 2,000-plus demons, is now clean. He's free. You see, what this man needed was not psychological tranquility, but full salvation in Christ. And that's what he received. We can go a step further and note that this passage is not really primarily about the benefits of trusting in Jesus as much as it is about the majesty and power of Christ who is God, who controls all things, whose power and majesty and grace and love knows no limits. The power of Jesus that was displayed the previous evening as he settled the stormy seas and the chaos of nature And the power of Jesus as he rescues this man from the tormenting, evil, unclean spirits. 
He settles the chaos of nature and he settles the chaos of hell effortlessly. From the very beginning of time, God has been triumphing over chaos. It is how he brought about order to the cosmos. The earth was formless and void, Genesis 1 verse 2. And darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And then God said, peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and the waves stopped. And Jesus sends the demons from hell out of this man into the pigs, into the sea, and every demon from hell trembles before him as a result. We've talked about Mark's writing style previously and how action-packed it continues to be. Verse 13 is a great synopsis of this. It's just shotgun-style action happening at the beginning, and it slows down to slow motion. At the end of the verse, Jesus gave them permission. They came out of the man. They entered into the pigs. The herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned. And then it's as if it goes through a wide panorama of slow motion. And they were drowned in the sea. And again, the original language pictures it one after the next. All 2,000 of them drowning one after the next. Obeying. What Christ had said, going into the swine, and they destroyed themselves. The man, the legion, and finally the town. When the herdsmen, those who were raising and watching the pigs, ran away and reported it to the city and in the country, the people came to see what had happened They came to see Jesus, or they came to Jesus and observed the man who they had kicked out of town for being demon-possessed, sitting down, clothed, and in his right mind. The very man who had had the legion. They heard about the pigs, and their interest was piqued. They see Jesus and this man, and they become frightened. Not at all unlike the disciples last week, who were a little bit afraid with the wind and the waves, and a whole lot afraid when Jesus calms them down. The people aren't fearful because the pigs are no more, because economically they may suffer, because their family may not have work. They are afraid because Jesus is there. Rather than rejoicing at the remarkable recovery of this man, they are fearful of Jesus and what he has accomplished in this man. So much so that they go on and begin to implore him to leave their region. Imagine the idiocy. It's absolutely nonsensical, but it's exactly what sin does to us. They would rather have 2,000 nasty, smelly pigs. They would rather have thousands of demons than Jesus, who can control them all. They are desperate for Jesus to leave before he destroys more of their lives and their businesses. In fact, they're treating Jesus exactly the way that they treated this demoniac previously. Get away from here. 
Leave us alone. Who cares about the poor man and the destruction that he's been rescued from? They are more comfortable with thousands of demons destroying their neighbor than with Jesus expressing love to him by saving him. As as a group of townspeople, they should have been discussing how to plan a ceremony to give him a key to the city. But they would rather get him out of town and leave them alone. They knew from experience that the demons were uncontrollable. They had tried to control the demons when they were inhabiting this man. Now they have evidence, it comes on good report, that Jesus can control the uncontrollable demons. As a result, they want nothing to do with Jesus because they can't control him. He is far more uncontrollable than the demons. Here's 2,000 demons that they can't control, so they send to live in the cemetery outside the city within this man. Jesus controls these demons. He makes the man in his right mind. They have no hope of controlling this man, and they want nothing to do with him. They implore him to leave. They literally chase off their only source of deliverance and salvation. Now, contrary to the townspeople, this man, as Jesus was getting into the boat, verse 18, the man who had been demon-possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him. What's not surprising? I mean, his life has just been altered forever. Who wouldn't want to follow Jesus at this point? And very interesting to note that Jesus has been implored previously in the story, do not torment me. And he answered in the affirmative. He didn't torment the demons. Do not send us out of the country. Jesus was implored by the demons. And he obliged affirmatively. Leave our region. They say to Jesus, the townspeople do, and he obliges in the affirmative. But now when this man, the only one in the story who's in his right mind at this point, asks to go with Jesus, the answer is no. Not only no, but also go and seek restoration with your family. Go tell them what God has done for you. Go speak of the mercy of the Lord. Now, you'll remember that previously, each time that Jesus has accomplished a remarkable miracle, he has commanded silence for those who have been healed or those who have been saved. This time he reverses that counsel saying, go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. Why is Jesus giving different counsel here? There is zero chance of a messianic uprising happening in Gentile territory. They weren't waiting on the Messiah. He showed up and they didn't care. He showed up and they asked him to leave. There's no chance. So while Jesus does grant the wishes of the town by leaving, he's getting in a boat ready to go, he also leaves with them 
unquestionable evidence of his lingering presence by leaving this healed demoniac in their midst. They couldn't deny him. They wouldn't be able to, they couldn't deny that Jesus was, and they wouldn't be able to forget about him as this man runs around telling people about what God had done, the great things that had been done, and how mercy had been shown to him. In fact, verse 20 says, he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed. Not only did everyone in this one town, the country of the Gerasenes, hear the good news, but the ten cities throughout the region, the Decapolis, all ten of the cities throughout the surrounding region are hearing from this man that used to be, no doubt he had a reputation previously. Now he has a new reputation, a new identity, and that word was about to spread throughout the region as well. The best way for this man to glorify God is to go home. The best way for us to glorify God is not always doing what we want to do. God knows what is best for us, just like he knew what was best for this man, and he places us accordingly. It is all too common in our day, increasingly common, for Christians to make decisions based on what we desire, to determine our next decision or move based on what we enjoy. It's, it's common for us to commit to doing what we presume to be the best or easiest, to allow what seems right to determine our choices or to be driven by our perceived notions of thriving. But Jesus here makes it clear. He's answering yes to all the questions that if we're in his position here, apart from massive sanctification, and even then we probably do everything just the opposite of Jesus in this story. These demons are tormenting this man. Jesus doesn't torment them. They ask not to be cast into the outer darkness. Could Jesus have done that? Certainly. He doesn't do that. The townspeople ask him to leave. He could have stayed for a few days longer, continued preaching the gospel. They probably had some other demon-possessed people around. They could also benefit from Jesus' services. He doesn't do that. He could have taken this man. He's take, Jesus has taken 12 men with him already. What's one more? He could have had a guy to replace Judas eventually, built in. He doesn't do it. Stay here. Go home. Report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And he did. Everyone that Jesus told, don't go talking about this, went talking about it. This man, he does. He went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. Now, there are a couple of questions that undoubtedly come up as we read through a story like this. I mean, what about the pigs? Did Jesus really not like pigs that much? I think it's helpful to notice that Jesus didn't send the pigs into the sea. The demons did. Jesus wasn't revealing a lack of compassion for the pigs feeding on the hillside. He was, however, revealing a proper compassion. 
The town was all flustered because of their loss of profits and the economic impact that they were going to feel. They had made and would make again, if left up to them, the decision to let this poor man suffer as long as their lives were not inconvenienced. It's not altogether different than what we're facing in our culture today. We live in a culture of death, of convenience. Almost everything is valued more than human life itself. Just this past week, standing on the sidewalk, one of the ladies there said to someone arriving at the abortion clinic, your baby is alive, its heart is already beating. And the response was, and I can't wait to kill it. This is the culture we live in. Not everyone, but that's the direction we're going. Those kinds of extremes are normalized because of the devaluing of human life. Jesus here is making a very strong point. He's not saying the pigs are worthless. He's saying this soul is worth far more than any kind of economic downturn, than affecting many families' livelihood. That stuff is important, but it pales in comparison to this everlasting soul. So here's Jesus taming thousands of demons, drowning 2,000 pigs, saving one soul. So taming demons, drowning pigs, saving a soul. Thousands of demons are tamed. Thousands of pigs are drowned. One soul saved. And it's a wonderful reality for us to buy into wholeheartedly, being incredibly convinced that evil is real. Demons are real. They are malicious. There is a powerful enemy that is always near us. And it produces a disconcertedness on our part, a distressing reality, which is why we must be quick to remember and slow to forget that the Son of God appeared for this purpose. 1 John 3, 8, the Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. We, we see him doing that here in Mark chapter 5. We will see him later in his life, at the end of his life, on the cross, triumphing over Satan fully and finally. Even in our hearts now, Jesus is triumphing over Satan day after day. And in the end, when Christ returns, Jesus will triumph over Satan finally and forever. When we look around this passage, most of us at this point find ourselves in the demoniac sitting in verse 15 sitting down, clothed in our right minds because of the work that Christ has done. But that may not be true for everyone. There are some who are quite likely deeply scarred within, terribly tattered like this man was before Jesus beached the boat that morning. You may have filthy habits. You may feel utterly hopeless and helpless. You, like this garrison demoniac, should go rushing, screeching, calling out to Jesus, the changeless one. 
He is no different today than he was here in this passage. He has all the power of God being God himself. He can heal you. He can comfort you. He can and will save you. This man, this demoniac, he's commissioned by Jesus to report the great things Jesus has done for him, to report how Jesus has had mercy on him, to proclaim the great things that Jesus has done for him. However, get this with me, this man's never heard a sermon in his life. He's never attended a Bible study. But he knows who Jesus is. And he experienced the power of Jesus in his life. He experienced transformation. What Jesus has done for you, if you belong to him, is not less than what he did for this man. Our lives may not be as tattered and scarred on the outside as this demoniac's was. But we were all in absolute disaster within before Christ saved us. And you may still be a disaster this morning. And this same Christ can and will save you. Even from deep scars, from being terribly tattered, from filthy habits, and from feeling hopeless, this Christ still has majestic power. He is still full of mercy and grace. There is no place, remember, that God's rule doesn't reach. There is no place that God's love and grace does not reach. There's no place that God's mercy and hope does not reach. In the same way that Jesus here in this story goes across the sea seeking out that one soul We too have been sought out by this Christ. You, if you're here this morning, this Christ is seeking you out. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. If you're lost here this morning, you can go home saved. There's no reason not to. Trust fully, trust completely in this Christ who came to save. Let's pray. Our God, we thank you for your word and the truth that it contains. We pray that by your spirit you would apply it to our souls, bringing about sanctification in your people and salvation in those who don't know you yet. God, grant faith and repentance initially and in an ongoing way. Help us to believe and to trust, to claim your promises, to bank our lives on the truth of your word. God, help us to see Christ more clearly in all of his glory. You are our only hope. We look to you, trusting in you. Hear us and be our help. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.